Okay. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2 then. Genesis chapter 2. I'm a little scared today because this was one of those days I told Janet, said, look, here's my list of verses. (laughs) I know we'll never get through all of this. So you got to pick and choose. And then you want to get them in the right order and make a logical sense out of them. And some of these verses overlap and they have the same words, two or three of them. And then so you got to back and revisit and all this sort of thing. But anyway, we're going to we're going to give it a, a shot. In Genesis chapter two. My title that I have that's going to be posted by Jeff later on is um, Naked, Ashamed, Covered, Unashamed, or no, Judged, and then Unashamed, I think it is. I can't remember now exactly what order I had those in, but uh, that's that's the general idea. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 in the very last verse of that chapter, verse 25. And we're looking at, of course, Adam and Eve and God's creation of them initially and their initial state. And it says there, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so we're looking at the idea of nakedness and just means unadorned in the sense of material clothing, but it does not mean they were not adorned. At least I don't think so. It appears that Adam and Eve had clothing of sorts, uh, a clothing of uh, glory or light in which they, you know, did not see themselves. In Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5, you might remember there that the psalmist talks about Uh, man being clothed with glory and honor. If you turn over there just briefly, Psalm 8 and verse 5, one of the great, great psalms that you'll ever want to turn to. And he's talking about man. He first exalts the Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. And in verse 5, he says concerning, well, in verse 4, he says, what is man? In verse 5, he says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. Now, when you think about glory and honor, what goes along with glory and honor? Well, typically, it has to do with adornment. It has to do with how you are clothed, how someone uh, presents you. There's an interesting place where that occurs. If you look over, or well, we're going to go back a little bit to Esther chapter 6. You remember the story there with uh, Haman and Mordecai and Haman's hatred for Mordecai and Mordecai's staunchness for not bowing down, uh, giving honor to Haman. 
and what took place there. And in Esther chapter 6, it tells us there, beginning in verse 6, of course, the king had been reading about this event that took place and wherein he had been informed about a certain event and he found out it was Mordecai. And so he calls Haman in to speak with him. So there we are in verse 6. He says, So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than to me? More than to myself. I mean, look at me. And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king uses to swear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man withal, whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. So, verse 10, Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse, as you have said, and do even to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. So then Haman took the apparel on the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And so we just see that with this idea of honor and is associated with clothing, royal apparel, and on the king's horse. Now, if you think about it, riding through the streets of the city in normal clothing would not attract any attention. And it wouldn't have meant anything to anybody. But here he comes riding through with significant apparel that drew attention. Everyone knew who this apparel belonged to. And here's this little, you know, commoner who's in captivity... He's not in his own country, and he's riding through on the king's horse. And everything that he does and Mordecai does is to call attention. You know, look over here. Look here at the man whom the king delights to honor. Well, Adam and Eve were originally created with such apparel to some degree. But if we turn back to chapter 3 of Genesis, we find that it didn't last very long. As a matter of fact, they lost that. So in Genesis chapter 3, as we continue from chapter 22, verse 25, you just continue reading in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, so you see the turn there that the Lord is calling attention to, having described Adam and Eve as not being ashamed. Now we see the turn. Now the serpent. 
The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons or coverings. So uh, immediately, once their eyes were opened, through their act of disobedience, they saw that they were naked. And the first desire they had, the first move they made was to cover themselves up. Now, of course, man in his sin and his degradation oftentimes seeks to do the opposite. You know, he wants to uncover and could care less and manifest and expose himself freely to the world. As a matter of fact, and we will, we're going to look at that in just a few moments. The whole idea, though, here that I'm pointing out now is that there is a place in which man and woman were found naked. There was no embarrassment, no shame, and then through disobedience. So we see that it was a spiritual act and a spiritual thing that took place that brought about this uncovering and allowing them to be found naked. Now, in Exodus chapter 32, you turn a few pages over there, Exodus chapter 32 and verse 25, this is the first time you find the word shame. You remember the story here well again. Moses had gone up on the mount to meet the Lord. And while they were gone, the people told Aaron, verse 23, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off, and they gave it to me, and then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw, the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. They had exposed themselves, in other words. I don't think that he's talking here about physical nakedness. He's talking about Spiritually, just like Adam and Eve, in that 
through their disobedience in making a god, an idol, they had exposed themselves to the nations around them. And Moses, seeing this, of course, was very upset with them. Of course, you know what happened to him. He got got ultra angry, mega angry, as it were, and uh, and uh, broke the tablets. Had to go up and get them remade again. But it brought shame, embarrassment, humiliation, because they were uncovered. Turn with a few other passages now. Uh, matter of fact, by the, the way, this, this word um, naked is translated somewhere else. It's translated uncover, or the, and the word shame also. I mean, they just, they're interplayed so much, it's, it was really hard to keep up with all of it. But turn to Lamentations, if you would. i got several verses I want to look up, so turn over. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Lamentations. Such a little book in between Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you run right by it if you aren't careful. In Lamentations chapter 4, I want you to notice, of course, And just remembering the context in which we're speaking of here as we look at several passages from the prophets. The prophets were speaking to Israel primarily about their adultery, their spiritual adultery. They had forsaken the Lord. They had left him and turned to idols. They were not obedient to the law in any way whatsoever. And ultimately, God's telling them judgment is coming. It is coming. And in verse 21, Lamentations 4, verse 21. He says there, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. Thou dwellest in the land of Uz. The cup also shall pass through unto thee. That is the cup of judgment. Thou shalt be drunken and shalt make thyself naked. The punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry thee away into captivity. He will visit thine iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will discover thy sins. In other words, you see the idea of their nakedness was to expose their sins. Now, if you turn to Ezekiel... All right, let's see. Let's go back to Jeremiah before we do that. Jeremiah chapter 13. Um, In Jeremiah 13 and verse 22, you see another expression used here by the Lord to describe what he's speaking of in revealing Men's sins and the sins of the nations around Israel. He says there, and if you say in your heart, wherefore come these things upon me? Why is all this happening? He says, for the greatness of thine iniquity 
are thy skirts discovered and thy heels made bare. In other words, you're going to be exposed and revealed for what you are. Look at verse 26. He says, therefore, will I discover thy skirts upon thy face that thy shame may appear. You know, well, I'll save that for later. Um, back, turn back to Isaiah chapter 47 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 47, verse 3. And then you may want to go ahead, while you, if you get there quickly, go ahead and go back to chapter 3 and hold your finger there. In 47, chapter, uh, chapter 47, verse 3, it says, this is, Now this is judgment concerning Babylon. And he says there, Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. That's pretty strong language in, in my way of thinking. You're talking about a nation, not a person. He's talking about exposing the sins of a nation. And he says, I will, you know, how can you, he says, I'll uncover your nakedness. You wonder, how can you uncover somebody's nakedness if they're naked? But he's simply saying, I'm going to show you for what you are. You think that you're clothed. You think you're okay. But before me, you're actually naked. And I'm going to uncover that. I'm going to expose that. Now turn back to chapter 3. And verse 17. Concerning the uncovering of the skirt and the lifting of the skirt, notice what he says there. Therefore, the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. That which they thought is hidden, he's going to expose it and make it known. Then if you'll turn to Nahum chapter 3 and verse 5. Nahum chapter 3 verse 5. It's Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Have I got them all in there? He says again here, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. Of course, he's speaking about Israel there, Jerusalem. If you look at, let's go to um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 39. Ezekiel 16 and verse 39. And then you might want to slip over to 23, chapter 23. 
Verse 39 says, And I will also give thee into their hand, and they shall throw down thine eminent place, and shall break down thy high places. They shall strip thee also of thy clothes, and shall take away thy fair jewels, and leave thee naked and bare. Now, of course, when these enemy nations, when the, God raised them up and sent them into Israel for judgment purposes and to the nations surrounding Israel because of all the sins and iniquities that they had committed. But when he, so he raised them up for that purpose. And there was obviously literal physical nakedness. They were stripped bare, humiliated to make them brought low so that they could humble them when they took them into captivity. But also in connection with that was the revealing of their spiritual emptiness and that which they had done to forsake the Lord and turning away from him. If you look then over at um, chapter 23 and verse 29. Now, this is a parable, a parable of these two sisters. You look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. And I didn't write the verse down, 23. Yeah, okay, let's just read the first four verses. And they committed whoredoms in Egypt. They committed whoredoms in their youth. There were their breasts pressed, and they were bruised, the teats of their virginity, and the names of them were Ahola, the elder, and Aholabah, her sister. And they were mine, and they bare sons and daughters. Thus were their names, Samaria is Ahola, and Jerusalem, Aholabah. Samaria, of course, a reference to northern Israel. And then you had Jerusalem, which was southern Israel. So the parable is about them. It's about all of Israel. And if you look over in verse 29, it says, And they shall deal with thee hatefully, and shall take thee hatefully. That is, these coming upon them in judgment. This is what they're going to do. And take away all your labor, and shall leave you naked and bare, and the nakedness of thy whoredoms shall be discovered. Now, that's what he means there when he says the nakedness of thy whoredoms. He's talking about their turning to idolatry, their worshiping of false gods in the high places and under the green tree and so on. Both thy lewdness, he says, and thy whoredoms. Because he says, well, in verse 30, he says, I will do these things unto thee because thou hast gone a whoring after the heathen and because thou art polluted with their idols. So the exposing of their nakedness wasn't just physical again. It had to do with God revealing to all for everyone to see what they had done and what they were like as a nation and as individuals. Look at, um, well, I've got so many verses to look at it. Mm -hmm. Micah chapter 1 verse 11. See, now we're back. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah. There we go. Micah chapter 1, verse 11. And this is Micah's, uh, this is Micah uh, preaching about judgment, which is coming on Samaria. 
and Judah. And he says in verse 11, Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir, having thy shame naked. The inhabitant of Zanon came not forth in the morning of Bethel. He shall receive of you his standing. And again, just a reference to the exposure of nakedness because of their willful turning from God. Now, I got some time. Let me get, hmm, did I go to Hosea yet? I didn't. Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Of course, Hosea is speaking of Israel here as the wayward wife, the prodigal wife, and the punishment that she's going to have because of it. If you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born, and make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. And then if you look at verse 9, Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover my wool. And that's not the verse. I, oh, yeah. And my flax given to cover her nakedness. Of course, there you're talking about the physical aspect of nakedness. He, you know, that which they made clothing with. Then look at, um, if you look at Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 8. We're back to Jeremiah, Lamentations. In verse 8, he says, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. All that honored her despise her, because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. Again, what's the whole point here? Is that Jerusalem was a prominent nation. And you remember the glory that surrounded the nation. And then her fall into sin. And just a, just a downward slope. Down, down, down. Over several centuries through many, many kings and the nations that were surrounding Israel viewed all of this. And then in the end, they saw God's judgment come upon the nation. And that's what he's speaking of when he talks about the nakedness. He said, when God judged them for what they had done, that was as if God was ripping the clothing off of Jerusalem, revealing what she had done in opposition to God and exposing Israel and Jerusalem to all the nations around them, even though they were more wicked than her, he still exposed her in judgment. And one of the things that we need to take note of when we think that through in judgment what is God doing? He's stripping away the facade. 
He's peeling away everything in order to expose the heart. When it comes to a nation, you know, we see what he's we see what he did to to Israel and how they were carried off into captivity and everything was laid bare. Even the temple was destroyed. Everything was exposed. And so he does with an individual. When he judges us, judgment means that we're going to be exposed. Doesn't Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says that all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And it's going to be revealed in that day. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3. Now, you have to really read verses 1 and 2 along with it to catch the context, or just reading verse 3 is kind of meaningless. So he says there in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, if so be that being clothed, We shall not be found naked for we that are in this tabernacle. So the point being there here is that uh, Paul is just simply describing you and I and our physical body that without a body, we're deemed as being naked and exposed. That's all we want to look at right there. And then if you look at Revelation chapter 3, I want to return to that theme about the spiritual nakedness. You remember, of course, we've looked at this verse so many times because it's so apropos to our age and the time in which we live, the Laodicean church, the church which is rich. They seem to have need of nothing. They've they've got everything they need. But he says, Knowest thou not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? What a wretched condition to be in. You see, to have things, to have everything that Israel had in her day, to have everything that Jerusalem had in her day, and yet God's view upon her is you're naked. You haven't clothed yourself with the garments that will protect you, with the garments that will bring you honor, with the garments that will bring you majesty. And the church today, the church of Laodicea, in the same kind of a condition, clothed with that which they think is profitable and beneficial and honoring to God. And yet he says, don't you know that you're not rich? You're actually poor. 
that you don't really see what you think you see and that you're actually not clothed but naked. That's the condition as they stand before the Lord. That's how he views the Laodicean church. And of course, ultimately, when you think of a church, it's an assembly. It's people. And if the church is viewed this way, then ultimately that boils down to you and I. God looks beyond that facade. Just as uh, the Lord told Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And he sees through all of that. And in the day of judgment, he's going to peel away the facade and he's going to go to the heart and he's going to show us just exactly what we were what our motives were, why we did the things we did, why we chose to try to serve him in our own way rather than submitting to his spirit. If you'll look at chapter 16 of Revelation... Chapter 16 of Revelation and verse, what is it? Verse 15. Notice what he says there. Blessed, or behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Blessed is he. Happy. Rejoicing is the one that watches and keeps his garments. And then, of course, if you go over to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, we find out about the clothing there where he says, At the marriage of the Lamb with his wife, who made herself ready for the wedding. It was the bride's responsibility to prepare herself for the wedding and the marriage. And it says in verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And as we well know, The word there is actually the righteousnesses. It's plural. So you would express that as the righteous deeds or the righteous acts of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, yes, indeed they are blessed. But why are they blessed? Because they prepared themselves. And they prepared themselves with righteous deeds. Well, what were the righteous deeds? What are the righteous acts that that he's talking about? Ones that God approves of. Not the ones that we approve of. Not the ones that make us feel good. 
but the deeds that God approves of. And you know what he speaks of to Israel more than any other in the Old Testament? Well, just what we spoke of last week. Taking care of the poor, watching out for the orphan and the widow and the fatherless, and ministering to them and taking care of their needs more than anything else. That's what he scolded Israel over. If you'll look at Isaiah chapter 47, now, verse 3. Did I heard it? Yeah. No, I already looked at that one. I'm sorry, I got that one down here twice. Um, okay. Go to um, 1 John 2, 28. It's just a few pages back. 1 John 2, 28. Notice what John says here. And now, little children, abide in him. I like that. You know, John seems to be the one that focuses on that word abide, both in his gospel as well as in his epistles here. And abide is translated other places, remain. Abide in him or remain in him. You know, it's it's possible to not remain in him. Several, I guess it's been a few months back now, Bob was uh, treating us to some uh, Greek words on the board with some illustrations attached to them. And one of those was the word N, E-N, which is our English word, I-N, N. And this little word, he drew a box around it. I would have just probably drawn a circle, but it doesn't matter. Got the same point across. It meant to be in the realm or the sphere of something. So when you read a passage like that in the New Testament and you see that little word, E-N, which in English would be I-N, it means to function or abide in or the New Testament uses the word walk in that realm or that sphere. So that's what he's talking about here. And now little children abide in him. In the little box. But you know a Christian can get out of the box? They don't always abide in the Lord. They don't always remain in him. But his admonition to us here, his exhortation to you and I is to abide in him. And if you went back to chapter 1 of 1 John, which we won't do right now, but he says... If we walk in the light as he is in the light. In the light. So that's how I picture it in my mind. I'm, when I walk, it's like I've got this light around me here. This is the realm in which the Lord wants me to walk. And it's in him. I'm being obedient. Full of faith. And all the other attributes that describe a believing Christian. And as I walk in the light, I know that I'm walking 
in the sphere of operation of God's spirit. And he blesses when I do that. But if I step outside the box or if I step outside the sphere of light, then I no longer walk abiding with him. When I step outside of the sphere of light, that's when I'm in danger of being found naked and exposed. It's when I'm in the light. The irony of it is that I'm protected. So he goes on to say then, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The word confidence. The word confidence there means to have a boldness of confidence. Unafraid. Fearless. It means that you won't shrink back. You won't shrivel up as it were. I kind of like to think of it as like, you know, here's a classroom of students and they're carrying on, uh, you know, the teachers stepped out of the room and they're carrying on and all of a sudden the teacher comes back and walks in and all of a sudden everybody's doing all this little stuff, you know, to kind of bring order to the room again. They shrink back. They're fearful because the teacher has walked in the room and they know what may happen. Judgment will come. Well, here he's talking about one in the room who was obedient. And they had no fear when the teacher came back. And so the same thing when the Lord returns. No fear, confidence when he returns. There's not going to be a trembling when the Lord comes to judge. If you'll look over at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, just a couple pages back to the left. Talking about suffering there, but he says, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. The whole purpose here is that in our suffering, don't do it in a manner which would bring shame upon you and shame upon the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. He tells us there in that well-known verse: study to show thyself approved unto God. Approved. An approved person is one who's abiding in him. 
as John was speaking, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, again, don't you like the exhortation there? You don't need to be ashamed, but you can be, but you don't need to be. So there's no need for anyone to appear before the Lord Jesus Christ at his judgment seat and be ashamed. To be exposed, to be found naked and ashamed. You needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Turn back just a page, at least I do in my Bible, to chapter 1 and look at verse 8. Notice what he says there then. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So we're to walk in such a way, live our life in such a way, that we partake of those afflictions in a manner in which we're not ashamed. And if you look also then, not only at verse 8, look down at verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Of course, Paul being what the scriptures call the pattern apostle, he was not ashamed. He was, he was an example to us of how to live a godly Christian life so that we would be prepared when the Lord returns. Now, well, I want to end... Well, let's just turn there. Psalm 32, verse 1, and Psalm 44. Psalm 32, verse 1, and then Psalm 44. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Just to let us know that because we're all human, there is a remedy. Our sins can be covered. We don't have to be naked. Turn over to Psalm 44. That's not the one I want, so let's go to Psalm 80, or is that, maybe I'm not reading that right. Now, turn, I'm sorry, go to Psalm 85. Yeah, this is what I want here, sorry. Psalm 85, verse 2. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land, in verse 1. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. But you know, 1 John 1, 9, a verse we quote and use so often. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to quote it. I'm just going to turn it because we tend to do that and 
just treat it too lightly sometimes, I think, at least I do. And, you know, we'll just say, well, I committed a sin, I'll First John 1, 9 it, you know, and, and go on. In First John 1, 9, he says there, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, to the psalmist, there was the promise of the covering of sin. To John, there was the promise of cleansing. Of being able to be put in a position where walking in the light would enable us, as he said in chapter 2, to appear before him with confidence and joy and fearlessness. And we don't have to fall back from him in trembling. But that's exactly how it's going to be for many in that day. They will do exactly that. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1, and we'll quit here. I think we will anyway. Let me go. Isaiah chapter 30. Just a warning. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt. And we're going to stop right there. Because Egypt, being a type of the world, He's saying, woe to them that want to always go down to Egypt. Whenever there's a problem, whenever there's trouble, they want to turn and run to the world for help. And he said they add sin to sin. It's not of my spirit. And so there is a way, there is a manner in which the child of God is to walk before him. In that sphere of light, abiding in him. Walking obediently. And when we die. Or should the Lord return. And take us up to be with him. And we are walking in that condition. And abiding with him. Then we can appear before him. With confidence. And there will be no fear. Or shame. Or nakedness. Or trembling. And I say all that. Simply to say as a word of encouragement. That God who is full of mercy and who regards no face whatsoever has promised us that he will reward and do for those who walk in such a way things that are not even to be uttered by the mouth of man. We cannot even conceive of the joys that await those who live for him. And, of course, all those things will be manifested and revealed in his coming kingdom. Well, I'm sorry. i got a whole bunch more verses here, but I better quit. I hope in some manner, you know, this is not only words of warning, words of admonition, words of exhortation, but words of comfort and hope. You know, if you go back and if you'd read through the book of Lamentations, that is a pitiful book. 
I'll tell you what you need to do is read the book of Jeremiah and then don't stop and then just go right on into Lamentations. Because Jeremiah is speaking about the sin of Judah and Samaria and the judgment that's coming on them and all the judgment that's coming on the nations around them. And I mean, he goes into the most great detail describing all the kinds of things that are going to happen. And I mean, it gets, it's not a pretty picture. And then judgment finally comes because they don't heed his warnings. They don't follow Jeremiah's word. And so what he prophesied would happen, it came to pass. So then you come to Lamentations and judgment has already passed. And now he's bewailing the conditions and the situation that's there in the city of Jerusalem and in, in his beloved Judah. That's right. And, and sunk in the mud. And then they pulled him out. But then he uttered those well-known words. This I recall to mind. He says, therefore have I hope. Great is thy faithfulness. And you know that, just, that stuck out at me like a bomb. <laughs> when I read through those, like just like I described, I read Jeremiah, I went right on into Lamentations, and all was this dark picture of judgment, judgment, and I mean the judgment was severe and harsh as to what God was doing. Not only to Judah and Samaria, the nation of Israel, but to all the nations surrounding her. Suffered the same judgment. But the, in the midst of all that, Jeremiah never lost his hope. Great, he said, is thy faithfulness. We shouldn't lose hope either. Not in the day we live. Not in the age in which we live. And to realize the age in which we live now has specific characteristics that apply to this. And we've I've gone, gone over those in the last few weeks. And the little charts that I've handed out, I hope, I hope that meant something. To realize that this age in which we live is unique. And it's coming to pass, coming to fullness of fruition, faster than we can imagine. And God said he's going to judge it. And just like Jeremiah, you know, we don't have Jeremiah here preaching to us, but we have the New Testament. We have God's word to us. And he warns us over and over and over about not yoking up with the world, not falling in to the world's way of wisdom. And the world's way of life. To separate yourself from that. Step back from it as it were. And don't walk. With the ways of the world. And so then what if we do. Then we have no fear. We don't need to worry. Because the judgment's going to come. And when it comes. We'll be ready. 
This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jeremiah. I thank you for a man who lived in such dark times. He lived right through the judgment. Was carried off into captivity himself. Even forcefully carried to Egypt. Against his will. And yet in the midst of all of that. In the midst of the doom and gloom. He never forgot. The promises that you had given his people. And the covenant that you had made. And what you would do. Matter of fact Jeremiah said. Should the sun or the moon or the stars cease to exist. Then. My covenant won't exist. And so he was filled with confidence in what you were going to do, even knowing this severe judgment was coming. And Father, I pray, I pray, let us be ready. Let us be ready in this day in which we live as we see the nations around us moving on Israel, standing in opposition to your beloved people. And I pray, Father, that those things that are going to be coming on America and the other nations of the world, that we would stand true to you in the midst of it all, knowing that we will have glory, honor, and praise at your appearing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.